Hello, my friends. This is Pastor Christopher Alam. I trust you and your household are doing well and you are blessed. We are still in the subject of the blood covenant and this is lesson number 28. And today uh, we will continue with what we spoke about before, about why the new covenant is far greater than the old covenant. And the 23rd reason, I've given you 22 reasons so far why the new covenant is far greater and far superior to the old covenant. And reason number 23 is this. The old covenant needed offerings for sins every year, while in the new covenant, Jesus is the perfect sin offering once and for all. Number 23. 23rd reason why the new covenant is far greater than the old covenant is this, that in the old covenant, offerings for sin were needed every year. But in the new covenant, Jesus is the perfect sin offering once and for all. Hebrews 10, 1 to 4, this is what it says. For since the law has merely a rude outline or foreshadowing of the good things to come, Instead of fully expressing those things, it can never by offering the same sacrifices continually year after year make perfect those who approach its altar. What it says is that the law is a type and a shadow. It's a foreshadow of, of the good things that the reality which is in Christ. Uh, uh, so the law of Moses is actually a type and a shadow. It's a foreshadow of the perfect the 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 perfection that was that was to come that is Jesus Christ so because of that the law by the offerings it makes you know according to the law the offerings that made people uh, uh, i'm sorry uh, i got my words mixed up the offerings that people made every year year after year according to the law they could not make the people clean or perfect in any way. But it says, for if it were otherwise, would these sacrifices not have stopped being offered? Since the worship had uh, worshipers had once for all been cleansed, they would no longer have any guilt of consciousness of sin. Well, so it says that if the sacrifices made under the law, um, if they could cleanse the sinners uh, and perfect them once and for all, wouldn't they have been ceased to be offered? And because, uh, because then the worshipers, those who made those offerings would be cleansed once and for all, and they would have no more guilt or consciousness of sins. He says that, you know, if, if, the, if the efficiency of the sacrifices made under the law, if the, you know, was so great, so powerful, then the sinners would have been cleansed once and for all, they wouldn't need to make offerings every year and they would have no guilt nor consciousness of sin. But not only does the, do the sacrifices made under the law not cleanse from guilt or the consciousness of sin, of consciousness of sin. it says, in fact, these offerings bring a fresh remembrance of sins to be atoned for. Every year, annually, it says, every year these offerings bring back a fresh remembrance of sins that needed to be atoned for. Then says, verse 4, because the blood of bulls and goats is powerless to take sins away. The blood of bulls and goats is powerless, <coughs> I'm sorry, to take sins away. Now, so let's look at Hebrews 10, 11 to 12 and verse 14. It says, furthermore, every human priest uh, 
stands at his altar of service ministering daily, offering the same sacrifices over and over again, which never are able to strip from every sign of us that sins that envelop us and take them away. So that means that, you know, that these, these sacrifices, I mean, these priests uh, at the temple, they stood at the altar every single day, year after year, offering the same sacrifices over and over again. But these sacrifices were never able to take away the sins of the people. But whereas this one, Jesus Christ, Christ, after he had offered a single sacrifice for our sins that shall avail for all time, he sat down at the right hand of God. For by a single offering, he has forever completely cleansed and perfected those that are consecrated and made holy. So it means that the sacrifices under the law couldn't cleanse us, couldn't do, you know, year after year and all that. But Jesus, he made one single sacrifice for all of our sins that would avail, avail us for all time. After doing that, he sat at the right hand of God because with one single offering, he has completely cleansed and perfected those who were consecrated and made holy. That means that the law could not cleanse us or make us consecrated or holy. But Jesus Christ with his blood has completely cleansed us and perfected us who are consecrated and made holy. I mean, these are four things that it, in this one verse that the Bible says God has done for us. He has completely cleansed us. Now, I want those of you who are listening to me to say this after me. He has completely cleansed me. And then you say, he has perfected me. Perfected actually means to bring into maturity and to fullness. It's not talking about perfection of the flesh, flesh but he has brought, it to, brought us to uh, maturity and fullness. And we are, we are consecrated and we are made holy. Praise God. You know, all of us as believers, if we believe in the power of the Lord Jesus Christ, we must acknowledge because Paul said to, to Philemon that uh, uh, you must acknowledge every good thing that is in, in Christ Jesus. So we must stop talking nonsense like, oh, I'm just a sinner, you know, poor me, saved by grace and all that. No, don't talk that way. You were a sinner saved by grace. But once you understand what Christ has done for you upon the cross, you should be saying that he has forever, once and for all, he has cleansed me, he has perfected me, he has consecrated me, and he has made me holy. Glory be to his name forever. These are the things that Jesus has done for us. This is the power of the new covenant. The old covenant could never do that. The new covenant does that. But we will partake of these blessings only if we acknowledge them with our mouth and we thank God that they are ours. Okay. Now, 24. The re reason number 24, why the new covenant is far greater than the old covenant. And this is it. In the old covenant, the tabernacle was made with hands. While in the new covenant, the tabernacle is made without human hands. 
In Exodus 36 and verse 8, and all the able and wise, wise-hearted men among them who did the work on the tabernacle made 10 curtains of fine twined linen and blue, purple, and scarlet with cherubim skillfully worked on them. That means that the old covenant and the curtains and everything in it were made very, uh, very skillfully by masterly craftsmen. And then it says here in 2 Corinthians 5.10, For we know that if the tent or the tabernacle, which is our earthly home, is destroyed, we have from God a building, a house not made with human hands, eternal, eternal in the heavens. And Hebrews 9.11 says, But that appointed time came when Christ the Messiah appeared as a high priest of the better things that have come and are to come, then through the greater and more perfect tabernacle not made by human hands, that is not a part of this material creation. What he's saying is that the tabernacle in the old covenant <coughs> where the presence of God was manifested was made by human hands. It was built by craftsmen. It was made, built very skillfully, beautifully, but it was made by hands. But the tabernacle in heaven, where the presence of God is now, the tabernacle of the new covenant in heaven, that is not made by the hands of man, that is built by God. Hallelujah. Amen. 25. The 25th reason why the new covenant is far greater and far superior to the old covenant. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 3, it's a, uh, no, uh, it's 25. The old covenant remembers sin, while the new covenant does not remember sin. The old covenant remembers your sin, but the new covenant does not remember your sin. In Hebrews 10, verse 3, it says, but as it is, these sacrifices bring uh, a fresh remember of sins to be atone, atoned for. I read the scripture to you a couple of minutes ago in another point, in point number 23. It says that the sacrifices made in the old covenant, they actually bring a remembrance of things that need to be atoned for. And in Hebrews 8, 12, it says, For I will be merciful and gracious towards their sins, and I will remember their deeds of unrighteousness no more. That means that in the old covenant, the sacrifices actually reminded people of their sins. But in the new covenant, God says, I will not remember their sins anymore. And I'm going to read to you from Hebrews chapter 20 uh, uh, onwards. Uh, sorry, verse number um, uh, 17 onwards to verse 23. It says, so then he goes on to say, and their sins and their law-breaking I will remember no, no more. Now there is absolute remission. That means forgiveness and cleansing of the penalty of the sins and law-breaking. There is no longer any offering made to atone for sin. That means when there's a total forgiveness and cancellation of the penalty for our sins that Jesus, he took our sins. He not only took our sins, but he also canceled out the penalty for our sins. You know, some people, let, let me just, I, I'm just reminded of something. Some people say, yeah, yeah, but even if God forgives, you know, 
you will still reap what you have sowed because David reaped what he had sowed. Yes, but David lived under the old covenant. In the old, in the new covenant, it, it, see, when there is total remission of sin, when Jesus has forgiven our sins and has canceled away the penalty of our sins by paying the penalty of our sins, why should we have to pay the penalty or the consequences of our sins? We don't. This is not New Testament. That is Old Testament where, you know, uh, even if sacrifices are made, atonement was made, people still reap the consequences of, of, of their misdeeds. And David did it. He suffered. But we don't have to suffer like that because Jesus has borne not only our sins, but also the consequences of our sin. So he says, now where there is absolute remission, forgiveness and cancellation of the penalty of these sins and law breaking, there is no longer made any offering made to atone for sin. That means when our sins are forgiven and the price is paid for, no more sacrifices are needed to atone for the sins. It says, therefore, brethren, since we have full freedom and confidence to enter into the Holy of Holies by the power and the virtue of the blood of Jesus, by this fresh, new and living way which he has initiated and dedicated and opened for us through the separating curtain veil of the Holy of Holies that is through his flesh. And since we have such a great and wonderful and noble priest who rules over the house of God, let us come forward and draw near with true, honest and sincere hearts in unqualified assurance and absolute conviction engendered by faith. That is leaning. I'm reading to you from, uh, from uh, the Amplified so you understand the meaning of these verses. By that leaning of the entire human personality of God in absolute and absolute trust and confidence in his power, wisdom and goodness, having our hearts sprinkled and purified from a guilty conscience and our bodies cleansed with pure water. Let us seize and hold fast and retain without wavering the hope we cherish and confess and our acknowledgement of it for he who has promised and reliable is faithful to his word. Hallelujah. Praise God. This means that because our sins have been completely forgiven and washed away and no more sacrifices is needed for our sins. And so now we have confidence and freedom to enter into the most holy place through the power of the blood of Jesus because God has made us a way. And he says, let us come forward and draw near to the Father with honest hearts and pure hearts, sincere hearts. And by absolute conviction, we can have, that's faith, absolute conviction because we have been cleansed from all guilt and we have been cleansed with pure water. And let us seize and hold fast to this confidence and our acknowledgement of this confidence because he who has promised is reliable and faithful to his word. That means that what Jesus has done for us is so total and absolute and he had made us holy and pure and he has made a way for us to enter into the most holy place, the presence of the Father through the power of the blood of Jesus. 
let us then with full confidence enter into the presence of the Father through the power of the blood of Jesus with freedom from a guilty conscience. Why? Because we know that what Jesus has done in his word is true. Now, even if you feel guilty or whatever, that has nothing to do with it. But the fact is not how you feel. The fact is what Jesus has done for us according to his word. The word of God is the real fact and not your feelings. So you don't enter the presence of God or don't enter. You don't, you do not enter or not enter the presence of God according to how you feel. But you enter because of the power of the blood of Jesus by faith and with full con uh, confidence and this conviction, knowing that you have been cleansed, you have no guilt. And we seize and hold fast this confidence. And not only that, but we also confess it with our mouth because he who has promised is faithful. Hallelujah. God is faithful. And because God is faithful, you and I can declare and confess it with our mouth that yes, I have been made righteous. I have, I have been set free from guilt and I have the right and the privilege to enter into the promise of God. Hallelujah. This, so the old covenant, it remembers sin, but the new covenant does not remember sin. And well, because it doesn't remember sin, we do not live our lives with guilt in the presence of God, but we come with confidence to the presence. Okay. Reason number 26. And I believe this is the final reason why the old covenant is, uh, I mean, the new covenant is far greater than the old. And uh, the old covenant was for Israelites only while the new covenant is for all mankind. The old covenant was only for Israelites. It only benefited the Israelites and nobody else. If you were not in Israel, it didn't do a lick of good for you and me. But the new covenant is not just for Israelites. It's for the Israelites, but it's for all mankind, all the Gentiles, all the nations, whether you're Chinese or, or Arabs or Africans or Europeans or whatever you are, whatever race or color or ethnicity you are, the new covenant is for you and for me, for all of us. Well, the old covenant was only for that one group of people, the Israelites. Let's look at Genesis chapter 14, verses 18 to 20. Uh, then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine. He was the priest of the Most High God. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abraham of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And he gave him a tithe of all. So this talks about from Genesis 14, when Abraham met Melchizedek. And <coughs> it says that God had helped Abraham and honored his covenant with Abraham and given him victory over many kings in battle. So when he came, then he runs into this man called Melchizedek. Melchizedek was a king, but uh, he was also a priest. That is interesting. He was both a king and a priest. So he met Melchizedek, the king of Salem. And when he met, the Melchizedek brought him bread and wine. And then it says he was a priest of most high God. So in one verse, it tells us in verse number 18 in Genesis 14, that Melchizedek was a king and he was a priest. So he met Abraham and he brought Abraham bread and wine. And once he had given him bread and wine, 
he spoke the blessing over him. And this is what he said. He said, bless be Abram. This was before his name was changed to Abraham. Blessed be Abram of God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And then what happened? Melchizedek spoke, gave him bread and wine. Melchizedek spoke the blessing over him. And Abraham responded by giving, giving him a tithe of everything he had. In fact, this is the first place in the entire Bible where the word tithe is mentioned. So Melchizedek took a tenth of, I'm sorry, Abraham took a tenth, 10% 10 of everything he had, of the spoils and everything, and he gave, him to Mel, gave it to Melchizedek as a gift, okay? Now, let's go to the New Testament, Hebrews 7, verses 1 to 22. It gives us a bigger, better explanation, a more, a longer explanation in the New Testament of who Melchizedek is. It says, for this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom Abraham also gave a tithe of all. As I said to you, Abraham took a tenth of everything he had, gave it to Melchizedek. First being uh, translated king of righteousness, then also king of Salem, king of peace, meaning king of peace. So uh, the, the name of Melchizedek actually translates into the king of righteousness and the king of peace. Then it says, it, it says, it talks about Melchizedek without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor the end of life, but made like the son of God remains a priest continually. Now this is good because here we see that Melchizedek is actually a type of Christ because he had no genealogy. He had no beginning of days, nor end, you know, nor end of life. It says he was made like the son of God and he remains a priest perpetually. Now, verse four, this is, I want you to listen to this because we are talking about why the new covenant is greater than the old covenant. He says, verse four, now consider how great this man was to whom even the patriarch, patriarch Abraham gave a tenth of the spoils. That means that Melchizedek was so greater than Abraham that uh, even Abraham gave his tithes to Melchizedek, okay? For indeed, those who are of the sons of Levi who received the priesthood have a commandment to receive tithes from the people according to the law, that is from their brethren, though they have come from the loins of Abraham. But he whose genealogy is not derived from them received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. Oh, this is interesting. It says that the Levites, the sons of Levi, they receive, they come from Abraham. So the Levites are, they come from the loins of Abraham. They're descended from Abraham and they receive tithes from people, right? So it says, but, uh, so Levi, the Levites who are descendants of Abraham receive tithes from the people, but Melchizedek, he so much greater than Abraham that he received tithes from Abraham and he blessed Abraham, the man who had the promises from God. So God gave, spoke promises to Abraham and Melchizedek blessed him. So this actually shows the, 
the greatness of Melchizedek far over Abraham, that Melchizedek was greater than Abraham. Then it says, verse 7, now beyond all contradiction, the lesser is blessed by the greater. Okay, he's a biblical principle and I'd mentioned it a few days ago that it is always the lesser who is blessed by the greater. So when Melchizedek spoke the blessing of, uh, you know, over Abraham, he was the greater one because he blessed the later. He blessed the, la uh, the, the later. And listen, this is a biblical principle. You know, sometimes, uh, you know, in Western culture, sometimes people don't understand these things. And sometimes, uh, you know, you go to a church to preach and all these young people come. They say, oh, I want to lay hands, you know, uh, on the preacher. You can't do that because the lesser cannot bless the greater. It is the one who stands in the higher office, who stands in the higher level of anointing. He's the one who blesses the, the, the lesser. So uh, it's just a biblical principle. It has nothing to do with a man's pride or arrogance. As children of God, we, I just want you to remember this. It has nothing to do with the subject. You see, as children of God, we are equal. As brothers and sisters in Christ, we are equal. But we are not equal when it comes to office and anointing. Some people, God has called to a, a higher office than others or a higher level of anointing with others. And sometimes it's your age and experience that has to do with it. Not always, but it is the way it is. And that, you know, there's an order in God's kingdom. Like I, I have my, you know, my pastor, Sam Smucker, and uh, I'm lesser than him. He's greater than me because he's my pastor. And that's the way God has ordained it. So I will never try to put myself equal to him. And, you know, he's older than me in, me, in mean age, older than me in ministry. And I will never presume upon myself to be the one to speak blessing over me, over him. No, it is always the greater who blesses the, the lesser. So it would the more appropriate thing would be for him to speak the blessing over me. So because, you know, he's my pastor and he's older than me and I'm younger than him. So these are, these are, I call them protocols in the kingdom of God. We have to, we have to maintain those things to take full benefit of the anointing uh, over over the lives of God's servants, because you see, uh, if you if you want God to bless you through a certain man or woman of God, you must recognize and honor the anointing that they stand in, and recognize the, and honor the office that they stand in, and 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 receive what God gives you to you through them. You can't say, well, we are all God's people, we are all equal. What makes you think that you are bigger than I? Well, if you have that attitude. I'm sorry, because then God cannot touch you through that servant. So, they, you know, these are certain things we always have to remember. So in this case, uh, who was greater? It was Melchizedek, because Melchizedek was the one who spoke the blessing to Abraham. And it's because it's always the greater that blesses the, the, uh, the lesser. And it is the lesser who gives tithes to the greater. So the Levites receive tithes from the people. And... Um, and so uh, Melchizedek received tithes from Abraham. So that's the whole point here, okay? So, but okay, let us stop here. We will continue with this tomorrow. And uh, we will talk more about this, okay? Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for my brothers and sisters. I thank you for 
their lives or your hand upon them. Thank you for their families. Father, I ask you in the name of Jesus that if there be any sickness or disease in their families, in their homes, I curse those evil things in the name of Jesus. I speak life and health and healing. I speak blessing to them and their families. Father, use them mightily for your glory in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, that's it. And I'll be seeing you again tomorrow.